Welcome back to the podcast, guys. I hope that you had a beautiful weekend. I am here today with a really exciting interview with Dr. Darby Bonomi. She is a sport and performance psychologist. She has a unique approach and experience. Um, She's obviously an equestrian, but she has 30 years of clinical experience in the field of performance psychology. So she's combined her passion for equestrian sport with her profession, and she helps equestrians elevate their rides and improve the results in the saddle. So this is a very exciting episode because we got into the nitty gritty of all things mindset and mental skills when it comes to riding, being a business owner, being a professional. So she actually provides services for all sorts of people in the sport, professionals, trainers, teams, amateurs, juniors, and even their parents or parents of junior riders. Um, Very cool. A lot of interesting topics. We obviously covered nerves and anxiety, confidence, bad experiences and how they affect our rides, relationships within the sport, Uh, the fear of achievement or fear of failure, how many of us are perfectionists and how that really kind of hinders us at times and how to work through those particular things, imposter syndrome, self-doubt, the list goes on and on. Um, And Darby gave some really in-depth examples of specific issues that riders deal with and also her recommendations on how to navigate those issues. So if you're a rider or you're involved in the sport somehow, this one's definitely for you. Um, She gave us a lot of good examples of, you know, breathing and visualization and all of the things that I kind of like to use as a coach too, when we're dealing with these emotions and nerves and anxiety, um, when, whether it's competition or just riding in general. So It was a great interview, and I really appreciated Darby coming on to talk about those things. She offers, obviously, individual sessions, but also group sessions and specific show prep consults. So make sure you check her out. I will leave all of her information in the show notes. Make sure you guys tag her, share this episode in your stories. If you enjoyed it, I will reshare it on our socials. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope that you enjoy this episode. Hi, and welcome to the Spring and Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Parr, and this is the place to be for all things equestrian lifestyle, horses, entrepreneurship, as well as so much more. This is your insider's addition to what it's really like living in balance with your passion and your business. I'm so excited to have you guys here with me, so come along for the ride. I'd like to thank today's episode sponsor, Haute Equestrian. Haute Equestrian is your modern source for equestrian jobs. They empower equestrian businesses and enthusiasts through accessible and high quality services and products. On their website, you can scroll their featured job postings and candidates looking for work, as well as advertise positions that you're hiring for or shopping to fill. They offer recruitment services, business management, and sustainably sourced products in their essentials boutique. The best part of all this, it's available on a mobile app. Check them out at www.hotec.com. Sure. Um, Well, it started out, um, my journey started out similarly to uh, um, a lot of folks, you know, Um, I um, uh, just fell in love with horses. My family did uh, buy a ranch when I was about 10 and it had 
some old horses on the property and you know I became a horse girl and it really so it started there very very modest and just you know snowballed from there as I um uh, wanted to have lessons and then training and wanted to show and moved up the ranks and um and I moved up fairly quickly and um ended up uh, uh, showing at a very high level in my junior years um, and into my um, early amateur years um, in the hunters and equitation. Uh, highlight of my early career was going to Madison Square Garden and showing in the clay finals. And then uh, my sister also was a very high level equestrian. She rode jumpers and was a Grand Prix rider. And so my family stayed involved, but I really, uh, you know, then developed my um, professional career and had kids and everything. And, you know, wasn't so active until my daughters needed to ride. And um, I have two daughters, 18 and 21 now. And um, we got back into it and, and, you know, one thing led to the next and one pony net led to the next horse. And here we are. So, um, so yeah, that's where it started. I'm a pony girl at heart. And, you know, as you know, you just, once a pony girl, you're always a pony girl. <laughs> Amazing. Yes, for sure. And it's very neat that your daughters are also like actively competitive in the sport. Do you, then you're back into it as well. You're competing. Yes, I compete in the amateur owner hunters and the equitation um, uh, with my two horses that I have right now, Da Vinci and Little Wing. And my daughter, my older daughter is at Notre Dame. She's a sophomore and she rides for their club team there. Um, and my younger daughter completes right now in the, in the junior jumpers, low junior jumpers. And um, uh, so we are very active on the California circuit and I'm so grateful to, to have the sport that I, that I do with them. Um, it's just so unique. You know, if they were tennis players, I'd never be able to do it with them probably, but um, so it's, it's, uh, it really brings so much joy, uh, to my life. That's amazing. Um, as far as the professional side, you're a sports and performance psychologist, and maybe you can tell the listeners a little bit about what that is and what it entails and how it's different from mental skills coaching yeah sure um well a sport and performance psychologist is really interested you know in a nutshell in helping um people achieve peak performance right your best performance how to show up fully um, in your performance right so um um and as a psychologist um I am, you know, I have a very holistic approach, right? Um, so um, that's different that mental skills coaching is part of what I do within being a psychologist, right? But your psychology is much broader than just your mental skills, right? Psychology involves emotions. It involves, to my mind, it involves um, sort of energetics. It certainly involves your, your physical wellness. And so, um, so it's a much broader, more holistic and integrative approach than, than simply mental skills coaching um, um i always like to say you know we bring our psychologies and our character into the saddle right so whatever we're struggling with outside of the saddle we bring into the saddle so i help people also untangle some of those um those conflicts those burdens so that they can really um right they can ride their best right that's my goal for you is for you to bring your fullest performance 
to the saddle every time you step um, in irons and also to really enjoy it, <laughs> right? Um, so, um, so I hope that answers your question. Yeah, it does. This is so interesting to me, inter interesting to me as like a rider and a coach because I have so many students that are dealing with things outside of riding as far as anxiety goes and just all sorts of things like that. And it's, it's, it affects them so deeply in the tack. And I'm just, I've actually not had anyone on the podcast at this time that, um, that does this sort of thing. So I would love to know about, you know, how it has evolved. If you started out with this as an idea or over time has your profession and career evolved into kind of marrying the horse and the psychology aspect, what did that look like? Yeah, no, I, um, well, I have been a psychologist for over 30 years and I started out as a clinical psychologist, um, you know, working with patients and I worked with a full range of patients, you know, adults, um, kids, families, and I did that for many years and um, had a very um, big career. I was a psychoanalyst by training um, and really, um, uh, and did a lot of parenting work as well. Um, and then my, I pivoted my career, um, really when we got back into the horses, um, and, uh, it, it really came kind of naturally both out of my own desire to, um, to get the kind of help that I provide <laughs> and also, um, uh, people, um, coming up and asking me for help with their kids parents i was approached by a lot of parents but they would have a really anxious child right and um they'd say what do we do right she's so anxious she's throwing up before she goes in the ring um she's so nervous she's you know we bought this horse so that she could enjoy the sport and now it's just painful um every time we go to a show what what can you do for me so it evolved out of those you know sort of more casual helping folks and then um and then I realized this was really my passion that I could merge my professional skills and my experience and my experience in the horse world. And um, so uh, with some help of different mentors along the way and some real encouragement, I just dove in um, and it's just been the best thing ever, right? <laughs> um, for me, I, I, uh, I get to work with, I mean, I love riders. I understand riders, everybody I work with, they're, um, right? Super high demanding, uh, uh, or that's not a great way to say it, but they're very demanding of themselves, right? Yeah. They have very high standards. They're very perfectionistic. Um, and um, they're fun to work with, right? And they love horses, right? They love, so, um, uh, so um, anyhow, it's, it's a dream job for me. I, I'm so grateful. That is so neat. And it, yeah, it's so needed. <laughs> so, so neat. Yeah. Um, and I, I have to have compassion for you. I mean, I know you're a coach as well, and um, you end up being a psychologist for <laughs> your students, right? I mean, you're not only dealing with a horse and all of the horses, what the horse has got going on, um, but you have to deal then with the rider's psychology and fears and um, anxieties and et cetera, and try to make this thing work. It's a, it's a huge job. I have a lot of compassion and respect for all of all, all coaches and, and trainers. Right. What a learning curve that is uh, for me personally, but I know for a lot of people who are her coaches and trainers. Yeah. 
So what are some of your favorite aspects of, of your practice? Is there anything that you really like to dig into? Well, um, I, I love to bring um, uh, people's joy back to their rides, right? I would say that what, ha you know, the typical scenario to be really broad, broad brushstroke here is that someone approaches me, they're usually feeling really anxious, Right, their performance isn't what they know it can be. They're really frustrated. They're super perfectionistic, although they may not have totally pinpointed that. And they're just not enjoying themselves. Yeah. Um, and this is kind of across the board, whether I'm talking to um, you know, someone at the very highest level of the sport, you know, a Grand Prix dressage rider, or you know, um, um, or you know, a 12 year old that I talked to last week, who is a pony girl, and she's suffering. And her mom is saying to me, you know, we got again, we got into this for her to enjoy horses. And now she's so tense and so anxious for her, her child pony rounds. It's, it's, we don't know what to do. So, um, so even though these, um, these riders are riding at a very different uh, level, the issues are kind of the same. And what brings me most pleasure is when I can um get people to reconnect to um what they love about the sport and um and that helps them ride better um and i mean i can go into how we do that but um we really have to pry people off the perfectionism right mm -hmm. and get back to riding every step and also just and enjoying it and really connecting with their horse um but that's what brings me the most joy is when um when it happens for people and they come back to me and they said i'm having so much fun yeah. <laughs> um and um i'm really enjoying it then that really makes me happy yeah i love that you said that because that rings true. I'm sure for many people listening, like they've had these experiences where, especially through the, like the competitive equestrian experience, I think that there can be so much pressure, even just self-induced pressure, like you mentioned, perfectionism and those things where all of a sudden the whole reason that you're doing it is kind of lost in all of that. Yeah. So um, I'm sure many people will resonate. And as far as the competitive equestrian goes, why is having a performance psychologist, you know, to support them? Why, how does it benefit them as an athlete? Um, and what are some of the areas specifically that you kind of try to work on and support them in? Well, um, it benefits them if they're in a stuck place. I mean, not everybody needs to work with me, right? Mm -hmm. but, but, but when you find yourself in this stuck place, place of being real what usually happens like I said earlier is you're you know people are really frustrated they uh realize they can actually perform better than they than they are right they're going in the show ring or um uh, usually you know, usually you know at home they're fine although I have a lot of riders who aren't right their anxiety really gets in the way of them being able to ride at home too but but you know what they're ex let's see I'm trying to answer your question right what um they're really experiencing is this incredible frustration um, with getting to where they know they can be and, and progressing, or they're just not moving up in the levels and they're very frustrated and discouraged. And um, so at that point, um, um, 
uh, or, or some people are just paralyzed by their anxiety. Um, and these are some high level riders, right? They, they make a mistake, they fall off, something happens and they just can't get back into their groove. Well, then it's time to work together and figure that out, right? Let it go, um, uh, get back to riding like they know how. Um, and you mentioned something like one of the biggest tools where I'd like to start out is, is you put your finger on it, is regaining perspective, mm -hmm. right? I would say I liked, I love to start with um, having people connect with, in with their why. What is this about? right? What is the meaning of it? We got to start big and then we move into smaller tools. Um, um, because a lot of people, like you said, have lost perspective of what it's about. Um, um, so, um, right. Um, and and that's something I see a lot in my own students, like in, in many students over the years. I mean, this is something I'm sure everyone kind of goes through waves in their writing career because it's not a straight line at all. And when you mentioned being stuck, I think that really resonates with a lot of writers. Like you get into this place where something's preventing you from performing the way that you know that you can. And sometimes it's hard to get that outside perspective. And I think that's just so helpful. Um, and, and regaining perspective on why, you know, why is it fun? Why are you doing it? Like, what's the reason that that you started this in the first place? I think that's what you were touching on and, and it's so important. Um, yeah. And so there's a, a lot of different things I'm sure we could dig into. I'm like so um, appreciative of having you here because I, I get uh -huh. to actually ask you these questions and I'm sure <laughs> lots of writers would love to, but I know that, you know, confidence and like you mentioned having experiences where confidence is knocked and then not being able to regain that because of uh, fear perhaps or whatever it might be is probably a big one for a lot of riders and maybe we could touch on a little bit of what you see as far as as, as far as confidence goes and kind of doubting your own abilities um how do you work through that yeah, yeah. Oh, you're, it's, you're so right, right? Confidence takes so long to build and it can be lost, uh, you know, instantly, right? Um, I mean, not with everyone, but it really, you know, <laughs> it can be lost really quickly, right? You make a mistake, you have a crash um, or something like that, or it doesn't even have to be that big of a deal. So, um, um, so when someone has, let me, I'm thinking of an example, when someone uh, well, yeah, I had a professional rider last week who was in a crisis of confidence, and there were a number of issues that sort of built up. And um, and uh, what happens when that right? Let, let me just back up. So let's say you right, you have a bad experience, whatever, something happens, um, and what happens is people carry that history with them, mm -hmm. right? Um, so you get on, and you're still carrying something that's historical, whether that's yesterday or it's the last fence. And the goal is to let it go, right? Because riding occurs in present time, mm -hmm. right? Your horse is in present time. It's our goal to ride every step. I don't care if you're a dressage rider, an event rider, a jumper rider, right? You have to be present, communicating with your horse, riding every step. If you're riding the last, you know, two fences ago or a month ago when you crashed at the, you know, uh, at, at something, um, 
um, you're not in present time. You can't be effective, right? You're carrying all this baggage. So, um, so what I have to help people do is let it go and ride every step. And that's right? hard you do to a do. lot of breathing. Yeah. What's that? I said, that's hard to do easier said than done for sure. It is. But if you, but if you also, um, uh, it is hard, but you can do it, right? You know what it takes. Like, so I go back and we talk real basics, um, right? What do you need to do to ride every step? Well, usually people who are, you know, doing, right? They talk about pace. I've got to get the right pace. I have to ride my pace. Exactly. You have to ride your pace, right? And I always say to people, your horse doesn't require you to ride perfectly. Your horse is not requiring that. Your horse asks you to be present right? Horses don't like us when we abandon them, right? When we freeze up, we go some, right? right? Horses are, they're, they're, you know, they're very intuitive. So your horse doesn't require you to get the perfect distance. Your horse wants you to be there, right? Ride every single step, make that, be determined about riding every single step and then make something work. Um, if I can get people to go back to real basics like that, really present, your mind starts wandering off into junk thoughts about, oh, what about that oxer or blah, 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 right? Nope. You just bring it right back. I'm going to ride this step right now. Yeah. You know, you use your breath to let it go, right? A lot of breath work, letting go it's, and, and just like a, a really exquisite focus on present time. Um, it works and, and, um, and then, right. Yeah. You build up confidence by, by doing it. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Go, uh, continue on. I didn't mean to interrupt there. Yeah. I mean, you build up confidence by then, um, seeing that this system works, right. You also have to let go, like I said, of the perfectionism, right. You don't have to, like I worked with this rider earlier as an amazing professional rider. She was getting so perfectionistic. Like you don't have to ride this horse perfectly. Just have, right? You have to uh, uh, ride every step and make something work. And sure enough, she did and got her groove back. And all, every, you know, we were back, we were back. Uh, uh, the crisis of confidence was we had, we got over it. <laughs> right. Um, so, um, um, uh, but, you know, so that's just a little bit of an example of how we would work through it. And the, I guess the other thing I would add in terms of, you know, if you've really had a bad fall, which I, you know, some of my writers have, we have to have compassion for that, right? We have to have compassion that you've had a bad experience. So we're not gonna, you know, try to, right? We're gonna have compassion for it. We're gonna accept it, that this is where we are right now. Um, it won't be where we are forever, but that's where we are right now. We have compassion for ourselves, right? It takes some time, that's okay, right? Um, um, you have to if the, other, the last thing I'll say is if you treat yourself the way you would treat your horse, yeah. you're on the right path, right? Because if your horse has some bad experience, right? And then you have to reintroduce something, right? You have compassion for him, right? Step by step, you reward him for every step he takes toward whatever the feared thing is, right? Um, so I, that usually works with riders when I say, well, why don't, why don't we treat you like you treat your horse? Um, <laughs> something I'm on all the time with my own riders and it's all of these kind of areas uh, that we're talking about I'm sure everyone has a little bit ex of experience and I think what you mentioned too is you know the practice of being present with the horse and trying to continue being present gives you more confidence because you're building evidence over time again to just create more 
confidence that, you know, nothing bad's going to happen. So, so I think people just need to have some patience with themselves in those circumstances. And the other thing that I know I deal a lot with um, riders who obviously are, they're going through a lot of change in their life, especially as adolescents. And there's a lot of anxiety as far as not being present, but being in the future. So not so much in the past, but, um, you know, thinking about, well, this could possibly happen. This might, you know, I'm expecting this to happen. And I think there's just a really interesting dichotomy there of being, you know, unable to be present because you're worried about something that's happened in the past. And then also there's riders that are unable to be present because they're considering and always thinking about you know what's happening ahead of them right and that's anxiety too outside of the ring um but it's just so 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 interesting and I think um I think all of those things that you mentioned especially uh breathing and and I know um I think sometimes when people perhaps are dealing with crippling anxiety or nerves it's hard for them to understand the difference that can make um, and I wondered if maybe if you could just touch on that a little bit and, and the somatic response and, and how that really can impact people if they're to take some time with those tools. Yeah, no, um, absolutely. And, and you're so right, right? There's the what ifs. And again, like you said, you're in future and a lot of people are in future, right? So instead of in present time. Um, yeah, well, when we are, <clears throat> excuse me, I mean, one of the um, most powerful skills that I teach people is breathing um, in combination with some visualization, um, because you're right. Uh, when uh, we're in the what if, oh my God, what if he spooks or this, <laughs> what if he spooks in that corner? What if, um, right, we're all tense. Even as I say that now, right, with you, my, my chest is getting tight. My shoulders are sort of rolling forward. And right, if I were on a horse right now, my horse would be, right, he'd be like, what's wrong? <laughs> right? I mean, they're so, they feel it. So um, all that tension in the body, people, um, um, it, it uh, right, it doesn't help us perform physically. And it certainly communicates to our horse that there's something to be afraid of. So um, um, I really encourage people to learn uh, to breathe. I use my favorite kind of breathing is called four to six breathing. Simply, um, and I do it all the time, simply in through the nose, hold for a couple of seconds, in through the nose for four counts, holding for two counts, and exhaling for six counts. Um, now the key to that is the in through the nose and out through the mouth and longer exhale than inhale. That's right. And that signals the body. Um, it, it's it's to, to relax, that it's okay, right? It's, it it uh, allows the parasympathetic nervous system to kick in, um, which says, we're okay. We're not being chased by something terrifying. We're okay. And, it, and even as I do that right now with you, my body feels that much more relaxed. Right. And then I encourage people to pair with that a kind of visualization of just dropping. Right. I like to envision a waterfall where all those junk thoughts, all those what ifs, right, just flow right out into the ground. Right. Just just flow right out. Just let them go and call myself back into present time. Right. Um, whatever that is. Right. 
Um, and the more people practice this, and we have, I can, you know, go on and on about this, but the more you practice this, the more you can come to do it instantly, right? You can do it right before you walk in the ring if you're feeling that tension, right? I mean, I practice this myself, right? I'm feeling that tension. So um, I would say um, the, the uh, you know, the breathing practice is probably the most important uh, skill for you know um uh, releasing that tension in the body rather quickly it's very effective right yeah yeah and and it's that's the thing is um kind of encouraging writers to understand the uh the difference that actually makes and how quickly it works and what easy of a tool it is even though it's so simple right people like to com complicate things sometimes and it's just something, you know, um, but yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, so simple. Right. And even sometimes just if this is a cute story, I had one writer who's trainer trainers often say, as you probably do breathe, you know, yeah. <laughs> they tell their writers breathe. Well, I had one writer, we realized she was only inhaling. <laughs> Her no. trainer was yelling, breathe. And she's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, right. The exhale is really important. So, if you remind someone to exhale, they will inhale. But sometimes, if you tell them to breathe, they'll only inhale. So, there's a little <laughs> tip for you. <laughs> yeah, I actually do notice. You know, I, I myself and working on that as a person, I translate it to my students. And even yesterday in a lesson, we worked on exhaling all the way through down into the horse. And it was so funny because she was trotting around and the horse just <laughs> stopped. <laughs> he was like, oh, we're so relaxed. Let's walk. Yeah. Um, and it's crazy how quickly that works and how intuitive they are. So not only does it work for the person and for their nerves, but it translates directly to the horses. So um, what I would love Absolutely. to kind of go through is contrasting the different people that you work with the range of people in different levels and that kind of thing and and you work with some very high level riders including olympic athletes and what are some you know starting from there are their needs different from a lot of amateur and junior riders what are some of those things that you work on with high level performance athletes um well, in some ways, their needs are similar um, because uh, we're dealing with anxiety and lots of perfectionism, right? What I find is, you know, the, well, not necessarily. I mean, my pony rider is very perfectionistic too, but at the high levels, there's a, there, um, there uh, is an expectation of getting it right and succeeding. And so that pressure, so helping those professionals really, own, wherever they're, if they're at the Olympics, right? You still have to do the same thing you have to own your ride mm -hmm. right you have to ride every step you have to own your ride you have to be uh, exquisitely present and um ready to show up absolutely fully so in a lot of ways the techniques that we use you know aren't really that much different um mm -hmm. i would say the highest level of riders are even that much more motivated um and determined um and um uh and also at the highest levels, they're extremely aware of what's going on in their bodies, in their minds, and with their horses. And so, so the work is is deeper and and more intricate with them, um, in some ways. Um, so, um, 
so that's one area of folks that I work with. I work with a lot of professionals um, like you, you know, people who are training people who are writing themselves who are running a business. And this is really fun for me because um, there's so much going on. And, and these folks often are, are kind of alone, right? It's a lonely job <laughs> in a kind of way. It's a complicated job, has all these different aspects, but also can be lonely. And so I often serve as a kind of sounding board um uh i help a lot of those folks um uh work with their clients um set boundaries with their clients um we also work on um uh where do we want to go you know where do you like as you know businesses have um developmental stages and you know a beginning trainer is in a different place than a trainer has been at it for 10 years or 20 years and keeping that long-term vision and helping them craft where do they want to go um uh so uh you know along with dealing with their own performance goals um uh, it's just such a complicated job dealing with staff, dealing with clients, dealing with horses, um, and then one's own, you know, trying to fit in one's own goals as a rider. So that's a very fun group of people I work with. Mm -hmm. And it's probably about 30% of my practice right now. Yeah. Um, that's, um, um, and, and, and you work with a bunch of different people, professional riders, amateurs, juniors, parents, trainers, yep. well, from the parent perspective, this is really interesting. Um, you know, you, this is, this is a difficult sport for, for many different reasons. It's exciting. And there's all sorts of different challenges that come along with it. But on top of that, being a parent in the sport is also an experience. So maybe you could chat a little bit about that as well. Yeah, being a, it's very, I, I, I don't know. It seems like it'd be, it's harder to be a parent in this sport than in other sports. I mean, part of that has to do with that the, you know, the financial investment that needs to be made, right? It's different than, you know, soccer or skiing, even it makes skiing look inexpensive, right? And um, so there's a lot to so that. So there's a, even more of an emotional investment, you know, or, or more of an investment because there's a big financial investment too. And then, um, um, so there, you're often, you know, there's a lot of pressure um on the kids i think more pressure because of that sometimes um which doesn't help things because right in the end of the day it's the child's sport the child has to own it child has to want to do it and we have we hope the child's having fun with it so i help um um uh parents um you know hopefully uh step back lessen the pressure on their kids um and um it's hard with the parents who aren't the other thing about this sport is if the parent isn't a horse person yeah it's really hard right I, 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 uh you know to understand why it doesn't go well why didn't the horse jump the fence you know why isn't it i pay you know i've heard this so many times i paid all this money why isn't she winning well it's <laughs> right you probably heard that too um it's it's very hard to understand um if you're on the sidelines, um, why it doesn't go well, it's so complicated. So, or, or why it does go, you know? And so I think parents, um, uh, often need a little reset and they need a sounding board and, um, and they need, a, the kids need a buffer from, like I said, the parents' anxiety and competitiveness. Um, uh, 
yeah, it's a lot easier if the parent is a horse person because um, then they understand. Yeah. You know? um, and a lot of them, um, most of them, well, I don't know, I guess it really depends. It really depends, but there are many parents that come into the sport blindly without really knowing what to expect or, or what's going to happen. So you can, I mean, many people I'm sure can relate to the challenges of that. And also, um, and just parenting in general, when they're, when children are involved in a sport. And I think that's the same, well, it's, there, there's very different roles, but as far as a coach, that's a challenge with all sorts of things like, um, relationships between riders the competitiveness of the sport and some of the social constructs that come along with just being involved in a barn atmosphere and so do you um do you deal with any of that as far as like outside of the individual um yes you know what i mean like i wonder if you can speak on that a little. yes well i work with my trainers on that right <laughs> because um you know if it, right, that we all know what it's like if you're in a barn culture that is not a supportive one, let's say, right, where there's, um, it's just, it um, it really makes for an unpleasant experience um, for everyone, doesn't help performance, and it usually makes the trainer's life miserable, too, um, right, so it's really important um, to, cult and I think the barn culture starts at the top right? You as the trainer, as the owner, you set the um, expectations and the standards for barn culture, for um, having a supportive team, uh, knowing that each rider is on his or her individual path and each horse, right? That comparisons are irrelevant. I mean, I know we're showing all the time, but really at the end of the day, the comparisons are irrelevant, right? Your goal is to go in today and ride whatever horse, your horse, as best you can today, given all the variables of the horse, of you, of the weather, of whatever, right? Where you are in your training, that is, that's what we need to stay focused on. And, but, but that kind of um, perspective comes from the top down, right? And once you get that negativity and the, ooh, it's, um, it just really spoils the, the, um, you know, I always feel that the barn should be a sanctuary, right? don't we all feel that our barn right it's it's the place where we go to reset and get grounded i mean you know for my amateurs right a lot of whom are super high level professionals outside of the horse right they got big jobs yes. now they come to the barn that's how they sell their cup i always say right that's how we go we get grounded we hang out with our horse we you know right if all this negativity is going on it it, it just really spoils spoils that so um, so that is something that I work with, um, with trainers, with, you know, trainers on, um, yeah. And yeah, and I think too, there's also the, the classic, you know, um, navigating perhaps from the trainer's perspective, perspective, navigating certain clients or certain relationships where all of a sudden those energies aren't matching or, you know, it's just not, it's just not a match energetically between, you know, the, the trainer or the professional and clients. And I think that's something that really, I, I, in my opinion, many trainers could use a lot of help navigating. Um, mm -hmm. so I, I don't know if that's something that you come along with in your practice is just actually. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's a great question, actually. Yes, I, um, 
I serve as a translator sometimes because yeah. what, what I find is that, you know, I, I'm working with someone and I, uh, and sometimes I'm working with the coach too, or I know the coach and then I get a little, right. But there's, uh, there is a block in, in, like you said, energy or communication. Like the trainer is saying one thing, the trainer's super frustrated with the client and the client knows it. And so if I can translate, sometimes with the client, I, I, um, I translate what the, um, what the trainer's trying to communicate. I have to reaffirm that everyone's on the same page here. And generally everybody is, right? Everybody's on the same page. We all want to go out, ride our best, and have a good experience. That's the idea, right? But then, so if I can translate, and I have, I'm pretty effective at that. Get, you know, the the client to hear what the trainer's saying, and then sometimes help the trainer hear what the client's saying. Um, we can really smooth things out. So, like you said, energetically, we can get back on a um, a more you know in a positive place. Um, and uh, that is a lot. That's uh, big time gratification for me when I can um, facilitate that. Yeah, that's so interesting that like, right, because as a coach, you know, you don't really think of like this ever being a service that you have access to where you're having these issues navigating these important relationships. Obviously, you want to keep them at a very high standard of a professional level. You know, how do you go about that if you're just not energetically able to you know, connect or communicate in a way that makes sense to both parties. So that I love, that's so interesting. Um, and the other thing that I, what, kind of taking it back to the junior riders or the adolescents, a lot of the time there's things going on outside of the barn that are really affecting. And you mentioned, you know, when you're at a higher level, sometimes there's more self-awareness. Um, you know, there's just more reflection and you're able to understand yourself. That's just general you know, being an adult. And then there's, on the other hand, junior writers that struggle with being heavily influenced by the things going on in their lives and the things that are changing in their lives. And then dealing with that in translation with writing or being at the barn, whatever that might be. So are you also dealing with, you know, those school and those social struggles outside of the barn when it comes to the younger writers? Yeah, absolutely. All, all riders actually, you're right. Um, um, because we bring, um, you know, we tend to bring whatever struggles we're having, whether we're a teen, you know, a teen and we're struggling with social stuff at school or, you know, our academics or like, you know, one of my teens, you know, is applying to college and dealing with all of that, um, and the disappointments and, you know, yeah, we, it, it, it's human nature. We just bring our psychologies along and that does affect our riding and our experience at the barn. And so I definitely, um, you know, work with the whole person and, um, or another example is, um, <laughs> I have a number of these types of clients, very, like I said, very high level executives, right. Very used to, um, making things happen. Uh, they, right. They, you know, they set their minds to it and it happens and they're able to do it. And then when they get to the barn and they're not able to make it happen, <laughs> That's right. you know, it's right. And they get, you know, and so we have to, <laughs> so that's another example of how we have to kind of, um, uh, reorient, uh, for this, for this experience. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, yeah, yeah. So 
Yeah. Horses teach us to have humility. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) They they do. Yeah. Yeah. And so as we're talking, one of the things that I, I, that came to mind that I wanted to ask you about is that I deal with, um, with my own students is, is the use of social media. And when you said initially, when we started talking about bringing the joy back into riding, sometimes I find that, uh, that some of the kids can get so wrapped up in, in those areas of life that happen to be on their phone and perhaps, you know, in comparison with one another and they have competitive spirits, of course. Do you deal with any of those types of clients that, that really get heavily influenced by social media? Do you see that in younger clients? Is it something that you have to navigate or they have to learn how to navigate? Absolutely. Right. I mean, because, you know, I always just say, as I say, comparisons uh, are just worthless, really, right? Is it's about your riding, your horse, uh, but social media comparisons where social media isn't even real, right? (laughs) I mean, sorry, it's real to a certain extent, but you know, you know, people put out there all their successes and how wonderful everything is. And, and that's not real life, right? And so, um, absolutely. If someone is caught up in that, um, or I'll give you an example. Um, uh, uh, this is a little different, but, um, you know, some of my younger riders would, would be looking at rankings, you know, um, uh, or looking at who's in their class or look at, you know, just so focused on, um, who's doing what, um, that, right. They wouldn't be, again, you're not in present time. You're not, your job is to ride your horse today, be here, ride every step, react to what's happening. Doesn't, you know, so, um, that's hard. I, the pressures there are very hard and, um, yeah, the lack of reality and perspective, right. That, um, come with, uh, too much social media consumption. So, um, um, yeah, I, I actually had to ban a couple. I was like, you may not look at, you may not, you have to go into your class blind, not knowing who's who's in there, right? You have to yeah. stay focused in your own bubble, knowing what this class is about for you today on this horse. What is it about for you? And usually people will, I, I find that, you know, people work with me, they embrace it. Yeah. Um, um, because it works. Yeah, I was going to say, it's helpful to have someone actually you know, hold them accountable to that. And then the evidence of it just builds over time. You know, they're being severely impacted by what they're, they're taking in and feeling a little influenced by, or it's making them anxious. And then they go and they don't take that in and recognize that they can focus better and their concentration's higher. I mean, over time, I can imagine that that, that makes a difference for them. Yeah. Um, so how does working as a performance psychologist help people involved in the industry who aren't just athletes? Um, well, you're thinking of, you know, besides trainers and professionals. Yeah. Um, so for business owners or equestrian related, uh, I don't know, brands, I'm sh- sure that there's, is there anyone that you work with that's in the industry that doesn't necessarily ride at a high level? Um, oh, lots of people that I work with don't ride at a high level. Um, 
but they're very demanding on themselves again. Um, so, but you're talking about working with business people, people who are in the, in the horse industry, but not really focused on their riding per se. You got um, yeah. yeah. So absolutely. I mean, I really believe that, you know, um, peak performance, let me, how, how do I, how am I going to say this? Right. Um, well, let me give you an example, right? I really try to coach people, right? If, if you're, I'm gonna use the term five-star um, and I don't mean that in an eventing context. I just mean top-notch, like a five-star hotel, right? Um, I wanna encourage you, if you wanna arrive five-star, which means, you know, show up fully the best of your ability, you know, <laughs> perform, uh uh you know really have an elevated performance then everything you do really has to be five star mm -hmm. right i mean you you can't be one star sometimes and then expect five star right everything we do has to be of the highest quality and i'm not talking perfectionism here i'm talking highest level of integrity um uh, very connected to who we are and what we're wanting out of this moment and long-term, mm -hmm. right? Highest, if, if you have that as your um, sort of mission, right, um, right that, that extends to your business, to your, um, to your writing, to how you care for yourself, how you treat others, um, right? It's not five star to go into the barn and start gossiping about somebody. That's one star or yeah. no stars, right? So if you wanna have a five star riding experience and be that kind of level, right? Highest level of integrity, um, super teammate, right? Work hard, all, all those things. You know, it's, it's, it's an intentionally vague term because you know when you're being five star, mm -hmm. right? When you know your five star self. I know sometimes I'll do something or I'll have a, an un-five-star spot, yeah. right? Or I won't, I was like, darn, that is two-star. <laughs> uh-uh, no, right? Kick yourself, right? I have to kick myself back up to five-star. So it takes, um, so I hope that answers your question because, yeah. right? I think it's across the board. Um, that's how, and, and the right people I work with, that's what they want, right? They want to be five-star no matter what, right? They're going to show up five-star. That doesn't mean they're all going to, have perfect rounds. Uh-uh, that's not what it means. It means showing up fully uh, uh, every every moment. Yeah, it's not the result, it's the, the intention. Right. And then being able, I think there's a lot of power in being able to recognize, like you mentioned, calling yourself out on it. Um, you know, that, okay, that is not my highest self. I'm not acting in my best amount of in integrity at this moment. Like that's really powerful. That's right. That's right. And you could do that right now. I always tell people that you can do that right now. You can be start being five star. You make that decision right now. And that's going to change everything. It's going to change how you approach your riding, how you approach, you know, might change how you approach what you're going to eat for lunch. Um, it, you know, and how you talk to the grocery store clerk when you go to the grocery store, right? You can do that right now. Right. Mm -hmm. um, it's very powerful. And so this is a really nice lead into, I had a question about, about gratitude. So from your perspective, what, what does that help bring to our lives and to our writing? I think a gratitude practice 
which I do, it is also incredibly powerful. Um, uh, yeah, I'm almost at a loss for words. I mean, um, you know, we, we can so quickly go into that place of what I don't have, what I haven't done, what's wrong. I mean, right. And, um, um, that sends us down a, a, you know, the rabbit hole of negativity and, and constriction, right? When, when I'm grateful, when I am connected to, uh, to my gratitude, I resonate higher. <laughs> I resonate at a higher level. It's connected to five stars, the reason, you know, right? I'm, um, uh, and there are many things you can be grateful for, right? I mean, I, um, uh, so, you know, your horse is on layout for six months, which I've personally been enduring, um, <laughs> right? And I'm, I'm grateful to be there with him, to groom him, to look him in the eye, to just be his partner. Right. I'm actually feeling that gratitude and that connection with him. Not, oh, I wish, you know, yeah, I wish we could be jumping around, but you know, um, so I, I think it really um um it it's it generate gratitude really gener builds on itself and it generates more abundance. Yeah. Um, right. Um so I really encourage everyone to find those places of gratitude, even on in dark days. Because if you're connected to those, right, the, your gratitude, maybe it's the gratitude for the bird that just is sitting in the tree outside my window. How beautiful, right? Noticing that, again, it generates more gratitude, generates more positivity. Um, and that's the way I want to live. Um, and uh, I yeah. think most people want to be in that, right? Yeah. Um, it's It's instead of constricting and staying in that, that negative, it's like opening and abundant and allows you to have a more positive perspective on things. What are, what is it just to quickly um, give people listening an example? Is there something that they can integrate that doesn't take up a lot of their time, but maybe is it some sort of daily practice that they can do in order to bring more of that into their lives? More gratitude? Yes. Um, yeah, I, well, I'll tell you my personal practice, um, right, um, is, uh, you know, I, I can naturally be a worrier <laughs> about things. So, but I, um, instead, you know, to clear that out, when I wake up in the morning, I spend a few minutes um, just breathing and connecting into what I'm grateful for right now. Yeah. Um, and for me, I've had a couple of injuries over my life, um, to my neck. And if I wake up and I'm not in pain, um, I'm, I, 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 I am grateful, right. I'm grateful. Um, and so just spending a couple of minutes, just again, breathing, calling yourself here right in this present moment and, um, being grateful for the present moment, being grateful for really small things, right that then will enlarge, that'll start your day out um, uh, in the right, in the right direction. Um, uh, so that's what I would offer. That's what comes to mind first. Sure. And um, I, um, no, I appreciate that. I think it's, obviously it's helpful as far as writing goes, but it's also helpful in life in general. So that is something that everyone can kind of take the time 
to do and to think about it. And um, yeah, and I didn't really tie the two together, but I think that what it does is ground you in the present moment at that time. So it takes that time to bring you back in your day and pull you out of all of the things that you have to do on your to-do list. So super helpful. Exactly, um, right. Absolutely. Yeah. I read on your website that you also offer group sessions and, and clinics. So what kinds of groups do you work with and, and what would a session or a clinic involve? Um, well, in terms of group, um, yeah, I do uh, work with groups, usually barn groups, um, but also friends, you know, groups of friends or, you know, I, I just, um, and, um, you know, we can work on all kinds of things, but usually what we, what we work on is, you know, elevating your performance. And we talk about a lot of things you and I have talked about today. Um, but in a group setting, it's always helpful to hear other people's experience because people tend to feel really alone in their experience, especially, you know, when they're in that frustrated, stuck, fearful place, they feel like I'm the only one, especially if you're looking at social media and everyone else is winning championships at Devon, you know, <laughs> right? There's this real aloneness. So a group setting really helps other people hear uh, what other people are going through in a sense of community, which really does help a barn culture. If we go back to that for a second, the, the barns that I've worked with then, um, um, they become, uh, you know, more aligned with, um, um, supporting each other and um, acknowledging what each other struggles with and also helping each other. Um, and um, so um, uh, usually for a day I come, usually I would go for a day to a barn and I would give a talk for two and two hours. It usually goes longer. Usually I plan about an hour and then people have so many questions and elaborate in so many beautiful ways that we let it go. And then I usually spend some time working with everybody individually or in small groups so they can tell their story and we can, I can give them some specific tips on um, or perspectives on um, their own writing. So um, that's usually what a clinic looks like. Yeah. Um, um, you know, uh, individually, um, I don't have a set program. I, you know, meet with people. I work on the phone. I, I will do zoom, but I much prefer phone. I can hear better. I can think better on the phone. It's much more intimate. I find, um, and you know, people bring me their stories, right? They bring me their struggles. They tell me about their lives and how their writing fits in and what their, and, um, we go from there. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, right? That, that setting would almost be kind of healing in, a, in and of its own, just be bringing everyone to a really neutral place. Cause I find like sometimes it's hard um, to create those spaces where people feel safe uh, expressing their stories and their feelings, especially when it comes to those different relationships and the context in those relationships at the barn. Mm. So sounds very interesting. I love that. Um, and you also offer a show prep consultation. So when would that be appropriate? And can you tell us kind of what would be different about that and what the goals are? Um, well, that's when sort of people want kind of a quick hit, right? They're coming to a show and they're really, um, um, somehow sort of suddenly realizing they need some help. And so that's kind of an intensive 
you know, three, what did I say? I got three meetings over a couple of weeks and really getting into, you know, first I've got to understand what's going on and I need to understand the context of what's going on. Um, then I need to give the person some perspective and some, um, some new, um, things to think about and, and um, uh, some skills to build on. And then the third meeting generally would be, you know, gussying those up from, you know, they go out and try it and then we gussy it up. Um, and, um, and then that also, I often speak to people at shows, you know, on the, I'm not, I'm not always at the show, right, that they're at because people are all over the country, but, um, but, you know, they might have one round and then call me and then we'll, again, like I say, gussy it up, uh, you know, sort of tweak it. Um, uh, I also like to help people create a show um, preparation strategy specifically, right? So many people just um, jump on, <laughs> right? Without giving some space to create, um, to, to, um, to create, you know, the optimal mental, emotional, and um, energetic space to perform. Yeah. So um, it's really good to have a routine that you um, that you might practice at home, but also that you know you're going to do at shows. Um, so we work on, you know, this can be anywhere from, you know, 30 minutes of, of preparing to 10 minutes. But, but I really recommend that everybody have some sort of practice where you um, get grounded, you clear yourself uh, of all the you know, past thoughts, future thoughts, all the energy that's out of show, right? Um, you kind of get cleared and then you fill yourself with your own energy and really get um, exquisitely focused on what your, um, your ride is about for you and your horse, right? So you're really owning it. I like to have people um, put themselves in the kind of bubble Right. So again, you're at a competition, you're competing with people, but really it's about you and your horse. Exactly. That's, that's what it's about. Right. And you knowing where you're all, you are in the path of wherever you're going. Um, so anyway, um, that's a bit of, you know, that would be, if I did a show prep package with somebody, it'd be a, a little bit like a, 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 to get them up to, you know, their best functioning self right before a big show. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so yeah. that, yeah, that's super helpful. And I think um, everything that we kind of touched on today in one way or another is very relatable for the, for the audience today, because if they're not a rider, they might be a parent or a business owner or an aspiring professional or a professional. So we kind of touched on all sides and and I think your advice is quite amazing and what you're doing is as well for, for the equestrian space. Um, so the last question that I had is, if you saw a rider at the Engage who was visibly anxious, would you, what would you do to give them advice right before they go in the ring? <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough question, <laughs> right? So, um... Uh, well, the basic answer would be, you know, if they were one of my writers, then I would, I would, you know, really be able to, um, mm -hmm. uh, touch base with something we had talked about, but if, um, well, obviously I wouldn't just walk up to some random writer, <laughs> but, but in this example, I would walk up, I would think I would put my hand on, on, on her, uh, uh, horse or on her thigh and say, 
let's breathe, right? Let it go. Um, uh, I love what you said, actually. Let that breath go all the way through your horse. I love that. That's, that's just beautiful. And it, it totally fits the image of just letting it go, right? And then I would say to her, just ride every step. Yeah. Can you, can you do that? Can you ride every step? Yeah. And what does that mean? Well, that means stepping into the ring and picking up the canner or whatever you're going to do and riding every step. Yeah. Can you do that? Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. You can do that. I know you can do that. You know, I would do something like that and remind them, um, uh, because we can ride, you can ride every step, right? You can, whatever happens, you're going to ride every step. You can do that. Um, right. Not saying ride every step perfectly. Just, I just need you to ride every step. That's yeah. what I can ask of you. Yeah. Um, and it's funny how you phrase it. Cause, cause that's where that comes out of my mouth with the intention of trying to keep the rider present when things come up in the ring. Cause that's what the anxiety does a lot of the time, at least for, in my experience is they go in and they're starting to ride and like something they have to make a decision or they get so nervous and they just stop riding. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I love the phrase you used earlier that your horse doesn't want to be abandoned. And I think that speaks exactly to what I'm talking about. Um, so I'm going to start using that one for sure. Cause I think it would really resonate with my own riders. Um, but yeah, yeah. That was lovely. yeah, your, your horse isn't, doesn't require you you're, you're, what you've you've just said is so spot on right what happens is with my really perfectionistic riders i'm sure you have this every single day right they're cantering toward a fence and the distance isn't perfect the distance isn't right it's not perfect um and then they stop riding right they just abandon right and then the horse is like well what the heck am i supposed to do and um and so i always remind people just ride every step it won't be perfect it won't be let, let it go it's not gonna be perfect you're gonna ride every step and you're going to make something work, right? And and um, and if it's a little, if it's tight, ride it tight. It's fine, right? Yeah. It's long, support it. But all you, you can you ride it? And if I, I always ask them to come along with me, right? Can you do that? Can you ride every step? Yes, right. Um, if they say no, I think we're in trouble. But you know, <laughs> they commit no, to riding yeah. every step. That, that's yeah. all we can ask. <laughs> that's the way I always. Yeah, it's funny. I always say to my riders, I would never set you up to fail. I've never asked you to do something that I don't believe you actually can do and are capable of. You know, because they they're you know when they get all like that, it's they're questioning themselves. And and I think that's for a lot of trainers. I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but for people listening your trainer isn't going to send you into the ring knowingly that you're not ready for something mentally or physically. So you have to trust that too and trust that clearly you're capable as, as the rider on that horse in that moment. So beautiful. Okay. I, I won't take up any more of your time, but I sincerely appreciate you taking the time to do this. It was amazing and so helpful for everyone listening. I'm sure. Um, and what you're doing is so, so oh. interesting. So I will 100% be in touch because there's so many different things I'd love to explore um, on my side. So, so thank you. Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Okay, that is everything for today's episode. I loved a lot of these topics. They were very relevant for 
my clients who've been showing the last two weeks. And I'm sure that you've experienced some of these things as a rider, if not an equestrian involved in the sport. So make sure you follow Darby and all the things that she's doing. And I will be back next week with another exciting interview for you guys. Thank you so much for your support and listenership. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week.